Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. This message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah, and Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Then Amaziah sent orders to Amos, Get out of here, you prophets! Go on back to the land of Judah and earn your living by prophesying there. But Amos replied, I'm not a professional prophet, and I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd, and I take care of my sycamore fig trees. But the Lord called me away from my flock and told me, Go and prophesy to my people in Israel. Amos, chapter 1 verse 1 and chapter 7, verses 12 through 13, New Living Translation. Now lie on your left side and place the sins of Israel on yourself. You are to bear their sins for the number of days you lie there on your side. I am requiring you to bear Israel's sins for 390 days, one day for each year of their sin. After that, turn over and lie on your right side for 40 days, one day for each year of Judah's sin. Meanwhile, keep staring at the siege of Jerusalem. Lie there with your arm bared and prophesy her destruction. I will tie you up with ropes so you won't be able to turn from side to side until the days of your siege have been completed. Ezekiel Chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, New Living Translation. Hi, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm here today with R.D. Fierro, author, founder of Crystal Sea Books, and part time clinical dietitian. He picks out the condiments and toppings for sub sandwiches when we have lunch at the office. And as you'll hear from today's life lesson, Sometimes your dietary choices are more important to your conscience than your waistline. All that is going to be part of our continuing examination of biblical prophecy that we're centering around the study of the book of Daniel. R.D., would you like to tell us a little bit about what you're going to talk about today? Absolutely. As we've talked about before on Anchored by Truth, Fulfilled prophecy is one of the most important lines of evidence that demonstrates that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Now, as human beings, we can't be sure what the weather is going to be like tomorrow. We don't know who's going to win the next election. We don't know who's going to be in a next sports championship game. So as human beings, there are limitations, obviously, on what we can tell about the future. But the Bible contains records of prophecies that were uttered hundreds of years before they were fulfilled. And when they were fulfilled, they were fulfilled in exactly the manner that the prophecy was originally given. So for that to happen repeatedly, 
over and over again, as it does in the Bible, there has to be a supernatural source of inspiration behind all of the different people who uttered those prophecies. Now, in our upcoming series, the one that we began last week and will continue for the next few weeks, we're going to focus on one of the most important of the Old Testament prophets, Daniel. But for today, we want to take a look at the prophets, the biblical prophets, more generally. And so just like last week when we did a broad overview of the purposes for biblical prophecy, today we want to take sort of a broad overview of the kinds of people who were biblical prophets and who uttered those prophecies. But just as a refresher, let's remind the listeners that there are at least four big reasons that God gave prophetic insights to certain people during biblical times. You've already mentioned that fulfilled prophecy was one way that God used to demonstrate that the Bible was His special revelation. But in addition to that, God also used prophecy as a way of preserving a distinctive people and nation for Himself, the nation out of which He would bring the Messiah. Prophecies were also given for some very practical reasons, like helping the Israelites defeat enemies or avoiding danger. And finally, God actually used some of the prophecies he gave at one time as part of his bringing his plans to fruition at a later time. For instance, some of the prophecies he gave concerning the Messiah helped the people in Jesus' day know that Jesus was that Messiah because he possessed the requisite attributes. Well, before we get too much further, let's listen to another one of Crystal C's Life Lessons with a Laugh. This lesson is all about. Daniel's diet. R.D., R.D., where are you, man? I thought you wanted to record before we went to lunch. R.D. Just a second, my famished friend. Just a sec. Okay. There we go. Hi, folks. R.D. Fierro from Crystal Sea Health Reformation Studio. Whoa, Health Reformation Studio? R.D., what are you talking about? We're Crystal Sea Books, not Health... I believe (laughs) R.D. meant Health Restoration Studio, famished friend. Who activated you, B... uh... Be right, famished friend. The Bible Righteous Instruction Training and Education Artificial Intelligence System. Shortened to Be Right for Convenience. I am always on. Well, my name's Jerry, not famished friend. Jerry, shortened to Jerry. And R.D., what was that green gloppy stuff you just chugged? And why did you call us some kind of health thing? Whoa there, short Jerry. Not short Jerry, just Jerry. Let's not major on the minors or emphasize the incidentals. I was just energizing myself with some cosmically fossilized and petrified microgreens, carefully blended into an LHT WBS MTB smoothie. Huh? Cosmically fossilized and petrified what? I believe R.D. meant organically fortified and purified microgreen smoothie, short Jerry. A smoothie is a blended mixture of... Well, I know what a smoothie is, be right. But I've never heard of an LHM, uh, LHWB, uh, alphabet one. Love handle trimming, waistband slimming, muffin top blasting smoothie, short Jerry. I was going to mix you one too. Oh no, oh nasty. But I ran out of rarefied, refined, rutabaga powder. Praise the Lord for that. Anyway, 
what does any of this have to do with our life lesson for today? I thought we were going to talk about the prophet Daniel. We are, short Jerry, we are. But remember one of the first things we learn about Daniel from the Bible? What, that he likes rutabagas and green glop? Well, not specifically that, but we found out that Daniel was very careful with his diet. Huh? Be right. In the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verses 8 through 16, the Bible tells us that as a young man, Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, did not want to defile themselves by eating what the Bible calls the choice food of the king of Babylon. They also wanted to drink water rather than the king's wine. The king had commanded the court official overseeing Daniel and his friends to give them the choice food and wine from the king's table because he wanted certain young Jewish boys to become servants on the king's staff and the king thought this food would promote their growth. Now, I know that you don't like to turn down a good meal short, Jerry. I'm not short, Jerry. I'm just plain old... Or even a plain old meal. But in this case, it's likely that the so-called choice food that the king wanted the Hebrew boys to eat had been dedicated to one or more of the Babylonian gods. So Daniel and his friends knew that eating the food would have resulted in them participating in the worship of idols. And that's something they weren't willing to do. Well, that makes sense, but it still doesn't explain the green glop. The Hebrew boys ask that rather than being given the choice food, that they be given vegetables. The choice food likely consisted of meat and delicacies, whereas the Babylonians would have been less likely to present vegetables like you to their gods. Why, vegetables like me? What are you getting at? Oh, I think B. Wright was referring to the fact that you consider yourself as being plain and old, short Jerry. I personally don't think you're that old. Oh, no, no. I'm not plain or old. It's just my name. Wow, short Jay. A lot of focus on you today. Are you off your fiber regimen again? Maybe I should have made you an LHT WBS MTB smoothie, even if we had to forego the rutabaga powder. Anyway. You get the point. Daniel and his friends weren't as concerned about their bodies as much as they were about their consciences. A clean conscience is better than a clean plate, no matter how good the meal was. Trust the Bible. Steer clear of idols. Let your thoughts ascend. Choose godly friends. Yeah, wise choices prevent many accidents. I have reordered refined rutabaga powder. Well, actually one of those smoothies was plenty. And I was thinking country fried steak for lunch. Hmm, not sure you blasted enough of your puffin top yet. Uh, you mean muffin top. No, no, I checked. Your top is puffin. Be right, did you order that scale? No need, old Jerry. I can see by the amount R.D.'s chair is sagging. Oh, it's not just his chair. Hey, my chair's not sagging. Well, that's it from short Jerry. Oh, and it's still Jerry. Sure, still Jerry. Sure. Me, R.D., and the whole Crystal Sea Smoothie crew for today. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're, we're not famous, famous but, but our boss, boss is. is. Okay, so that's why you never get green peppers on subs? You think they may have been offered to an idol? Well, my brain knows that they weren't offered to an idol, but my digestive system just doesn't want to take the chance. All right. That's far enough on that subject. So where would you like to begin talking about biblical prophets? 
Well, I'd like to begin with a couple of seemingly very simple observations. First, I'd like to remind the Anchored by Truth listeners of something that we mentioned last time. In our day and age, we tend to think of the word prophet as primarily someone who tells us something about the future. In other words, a prophet to us is someone who can predict or who knows the future. But the primary role of a biblical prophet was to be God's representative before the people. And we would contrast that with the role of a biblical priest who was to be the people's representative before God. So the prophet represented God before the people. The priest represented the people before God. So the relationships between the two functions were complementary. Now, they weren't in conflict with one another. They were complementary to one another. They each had their own specific roles to play. So while the prophets who did represent God before the people often exhibited supernatural knowledge, such as a knowledge of future events or lost items might be found or something like that, that even though they often exhibited supernatural knowledge, the primary purpose of the prophet really was to deliver God's messages to his people. And God gave the prophets supernatural knowledge, at least in large part, to authenticate them as his messengers. So as such, it's important to recognize that being a prophet was a calling from God, not an individual ability. I see where you're going. What you're doing is drawing a distinction between biblical prophets and other individuals who may have claimed to possess a special ability to see the future, like Nostradamus, Edgar Case, or Jean Dixon. And, during biblical times, it would have been dangerous to claim to be a prophet, because if your prophecies weren't 100% accurate, the penalty for being a false prophet was death. God took the business of falsely claiming to represent him very seriously. Exactly. There is no record of a biblical prophet ever claiming to possess an individual ability to see the future. In other words, being a prophet was an office, not a skill. In our opening scripture, the prophet Amos, who was called to bring messages to the northern kingdom of Israel, specifically rejected the allegation from someone who was a, quote, professional prophet, that he was one of them, that he was a professional prophet. He said, no, I'm not a professional prophet. He said, I was just a shepherd. And he might have been a shepherd of either sheep or uh, the Hebrew word there actually might mean that he tended to cattle or to other large animals. But Amos said, no, I'm just a shepherd and I was a tender of sycamore figs. Now, a tender of sycamore figs in that society was someone who went around and made small nicks in the neck of the figs, which helped the figs to ripen more fully and help them become sweeter. So in Amos's society, what he was saying is, I was not one of the high and mighty. Being a shepherd or being a tender of sycamore figs, those were very humble occupations in his society. Amos came basically from the lowest rung of his cultural ladder. And that brings us to another important point. In the Bible, there is a group of books one of which is called by Amos's name, that are generally known as the prophetic books, and this group of books is often divided into the major and minor prophets. But this division has nothing to do with the importance of the prophet, right? The only reason one group is called the major prophets and the other the minor prophets is because the major prophets wrote longer books. In other words, major and minor has to do with the volume of material we have in the Bible, not the importance of the person or his message. Absolutely correct. 
The minor prophets were just as important to the unfolding of the Lord's plans as the major prophets were. And, in fact, we get some of our most critical information about Jesus from the so-called minor prophets. For instance, one of the minor prophets was a man named Micah, but Micah is the one who told us that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So, in his gospel, when Matthew wrote and was trying to demonstrate to his readers that Jesus was the promised Messiah, one of the facts that Matthew cited about Jesus was that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just as Micah had prophesied. And in a tragic way, Micah's prophecy about Jesus being born in Bethlehem also helps illustrate the integration and the unity of Scripture. In what way? Well, Micah's prophecy of the Messiah's birthplace was very well known in ancient Israel. It was so well known that it led to the tragic fulfillment of another very well-known prophecy. Now, just about every nativity scene that you have at Christmas includes the three wise men who had come from the east. Well, since the wise men were coming from outside Israel... They weren't as familiar with the details of where the Messiah was supposed to be born, so when they came into the nation, they stopped in Jerusalem, which was the capital, to get the information about where the Messiah was to be born. And since these wise men were very important and distinguished visitors, naturally they came in contact with the king at that time, who was named Herod. Now, the wise men probably thought that the Jews would be as excited about worshiping the Messiah as they were But unfortunately, they were unaware of a very critical thing, and that was that Herod was a wicked and murderous king, and Herod resented absolutely any threat to his power. Herod just couldn't stand the thought that there might be a competitor out there for his power. Well, Herod obviously couldn't say to these distinguished visitors that he was jealous, so he lied to the wise men and told them that once they had found the new king, to let him know where the new king was so he could go and worship also. Well, thanks to Micah's prophecy, the wise men were able to find Jesus in Bethlehem, but God warned the wise men in a dream not to go back to Herod, so they never went back and delivered the information that Herod was interested in. Well, when Herod found out that he had been tricked and that the wise men weren't coming back, he ordered that all the male children under the age of two years old in and around Bethlehem be killed. Well, in doing so and the children being killed, Matthew notes that Herod's destruction of the children around Bethlehem actually fulfilled another prophecy that had been given by a different prophet, Jeremiah. So Micah's prophecy was part of the chain of events that resulted in the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. But both of these prophecies had been uttered hundreds of years earlier. This means that there was no way any human, absent supernatural inspiration, could have known how the two prophecies would intersect in the future. Precisely. Micah prophesied somewhere between 750 B.C. and 686 B.C. Jeremiah's call to be a prophet came in 626 B.C., so there was at least 60 years between Micah and Jeremiah, and of course both of them gave their prophecies more than 600 years before their actual fulfillment. But, as Scripture puts it in Isaiah 46.10, God makes known the end from the beginning. So God knew exactly how the two prophecies would be fulfilled when he gave his two separate prophets what he wanted them to write. So this helps illustrate that there is a single mind behind all of Scripture. And these two prophets are good illustrations of another important point. Which is? Well, Micah was from the town of Morsheth. Jeremiah was from the town of Anathoth, which was a town that was reserved for priestly families. 
So Jeremiah likely came from the priestly line, and in fact, some commentators think that he might have been the son of the high priest. Well, Jeremiah came from the priestly line in ancient Israel, whereas Micah probably didn't. Yet both of them had huge impacts on the kings of their times, but oddly enough, their impacts went in opposite directions. Micah helped inspire a good king, Hezekiah, to undertake a whole series of needed reforms that helped to preserve both Judah and Jerusalem during Hezekiah and Micah's time. About 75 years later, Jeremiah preached to a king in a nation who had no interest whatsoever in listening to his warnings. So, near the end of Jeremiah's life, Judah actually fell to the invading Babylonians. Now, Jeremiah is sometimes called the weeping prophet because his life and times were filled with so much misery that at one point he actually wanted to stop being a prophet. And so this is a very clear illustration that God chose the people that he wanted to use and that it was not up to the prophet individually to decide how he would be used. You know, that's a powerful thought. Especially in our day and age, God remains sovereign over the affairs of people and nations, no matter what seems to be happening all around us. Sometimes we get frustrated because there seems to be so much evil in the world, but God is still sovereign over everything and everyone. Yes, he is. But it can be challenging to remember that in our struggle to remain faithful. I mean, another prophet, who also has a book in the Old Testament, in the prophetic books, Habakkuk, Habakkuk had a lot of the same questions that we do when God revealed to him that God was going to allow Judah to be conquered by the Babylonians. And God was permitting Judah to be conquered by the Babylonians because Judah had drifted so far into idolatry. So Habakkuk was asking God, God, how can you possibly let such an impious and evil nation as Babylon conquer your nation of Judah? Well, the answer was because Judah had become so idolatrous that it was either as bad or worse as the surrounding nations, including Babylon. But from this struggle, from this conversation between Habakkuk and God, we get one of the most famous, challenging, and really comforting statements in all of Scripture. In Habakkuk 2.4, the Lord said, the just shall live by faith. And that's what we're still called to do. As you sometimes say, that the Lord is more interested in our faithfulness than our success. Thus far today, we've seen the biblical prophets come from all levels of the Jewish culture, high and low. We've seen that being a prophet was more about bringing God's messages to his people than just foretelling the future. We've seen that some prophets were even reluctant messengers, but they brought their messages anyway because they recognized the need to be faithful to their calling. And as we heard in our second scripture today, sometimes God told his prophets to do some really odd things, like lie on one side for over a year to emphasize the message he had commanded his prophet to bring. So what other observations do you want to make today about the biblical prophets? Well, I know that we're kind of closing in on our end time, but I think it's really important to note about the biblical prophets. Even though all the prophetic books in the Bible are named after men, that does not mean that there weren't women who God also tasked to be prophets, or more properly, prophetesses. Interesting. God can and does use people of all kinds to serve him. God used people from all levels of Hebrew society to be prophets, and he used both men and women. 
And given that some prophets like Anna and Jeremiah had prophetic ministries that spanned decades, he obviously was willing to use both young and old as long as those people are dedicated to him and his word, which today means acknowledging the Bible as his inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Precisely. One final point that I think listeners should know is that even though there is a group of books in the Bible that are commonly labeled the prophets, there were other books in the Bible that contain records of prophets and prophecies. Prophecy is a central element of the Bible. It's woven throughout the Bible. And because many of these prophecies were given at times and places when we've actually been able to see their fulfillment, this gives us a very substantial body of evidence that the Bible had a supernatural source of inspiration. In other words, fulfill prophecy is one of the most essential lines of evidence that demonstrates that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. And that's a great lesson for us all today. There are a number of prophecies in the Bible that have yet to be fulfilled, such as those that pertain to the second coming of Jesus. But there are hundreds of prophecies in the Bible that have already been fulfilled at some time during history. So, that remarkable body of prophecies given and fulfilled tells us that God will fulfill His remaining prophecies at some point in the future. This also helps illustrate that God is not only sovereign, but He is also eternal. Regardless of the gap in time, from our perspective, between the time the prophecy was given and the time that God chooses to fulfill it, the eternal God will bring His will to fruition. As God, it would be impossible for Him to do otherwise. Sounds like a wonderful time for a prayer. Today, let's listen to a prayer for the messengers that God sends forth in today's world to spread His good news, Christian missionaries. A Prayer for Christian Missionaries Father of Redemption, You are a powerful and loving God and our ever-faithful tower of refuge and strength. You are a God who takes pleasure in rescuing lost sheep and in bringing them into your kingdom. You are the God of the ends and the means. May all the earth sing praises to your name. Lord, the Bible rightly asks how the lost can hear of the salvation available through Christ's life, death, and resurrection unless preachers are sent to proclaim the gospel. We know they cannot, and today a great many of your faithful people continue to leave their families and homes to travel to remote corners to preach your message of hope and good news. Today, we want to pray for all these missionaries and to thank you for your provision of them. Lord, we know that many missionaries preach the gospel in lands where your word is not welcome. In fact, in some lands to speak about you brings a sentence of death. We know that there are many places where government leaders and authorities will exercise the full power of their offices to oppose and persecute your messengers. Therefore, we pray for special protection for all those who preach in these dangerous countries and places. We ask that you watch over these missionaries, protecting them as they travel and minister and confounding the efforts of those who seek their harm. We also pray that you give them fertile fields in which to plant your word, which is the seed of true life. 
We pray that you would open the hearts of those who hear the word. Give them the courage to accept Christ, even as they risk their lives to do so. Bring leaders out of the converted so that ministries and churches once begun will continue to grow and expand. Provide the resources the missionaries and churches need to sustain themselves, whether it be Bibles, educational literature, money, or resources for daily living. Show us how you would have us help and serve in bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. While not all are called to go or preach, we know that there is a way that all of us can contribute. Help us to be persistent in our prayers and make us fervent in our desire to see your word spread and your kingdom grow. Christ commanded that his word be spread until he returns again. So in his holy name, we pray for his kingdom and his messengers. Amen. We'd like to remind our audience that a lot of our radio episodes are linked together in series of topics. So if they've missed any episodes, or if they just want to hear one again, all of these episodes are available on your favorite podcast app. To find them, just search on Anchored by Truth by Crystal Sea Books. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where we're not famous, but our boss is.